February 23rd, 2017, Mushan Patricia Ikeda is the leading teacher. Okay. So I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for coming from wherever you came from and uh, making the time from whatever you were doing before this for your spiritual practice, for being in spiritual community, which of course is a spiritual practice, and um, just I hope that you, you all understand, and I trust that you, you do all understand, that simply by being here, by showing up in a sincere and wholehearted way, that's already a gift of generosity to all of us, and, and we can really feel that. Uh, we all create this wonderful community, this People of Color Sangha together. And each one of us is very important in upholding the space and creating space for others and for ourselves. So before we begin with um, mindfulness meditation, which the designated period is 35 minutes, and obviously if you need to change your posture quietly and move from the floor to a chair, from the chair to the floor, get up and stand quietly, uh, just do what you need to do to please take care of yourselves. Uh, there's no problem with that. If you need to get a drink of water, you can do that. So let me just ask, by any chance, is there anyone here tonight who is doing uh, meditation in a stationary posture, uh, usually sitting, who is doing uh, sitting meditation for the very first time. Are there any first times? Thank you very much for your intention. So I'll provide <coughs> some guidance and instruction and um, just be assured <laughs> that as long as you're not harming yourself or someone else. There's actually no wrong way to do this. There are no mistakes because it's just something we learn as we go along. So we're just going to relax into it and um, I'll provide the guidance and you can see what your experience is. Okay? Thank you. All right. Great. So we'll begin by... Just, we're just kind of adjusting our minds to making the transition from outside the meditation center to inside the meditation center. EBMC, like all meditation centers, is a protected space. It is here only for one purpose, and that is to try to create an environment in which Everyone who comes can develop spiritually, can hopefully experience some peace, and also can be met with warmth and friendliness, respect. So that's what we're doing here together, and that's the only reason this space exists. And so we can signal that to ourselves by putting down anything we might have in our hands, making sure our phones are turned off, or if we're expecting an emergency call to vibrate. And then just doing whatever we need to do to bring ourselves to be fully present. That might mean just letting go of your plans for after this meeting, 
and also trying to gently let go of whatever happened before you came here during the day so that you can simply be here in the present moment exactly as you are. like begin by just kind of gently moving and shifting to find the posture that for this period around half an hour of mindfulness meditation in a stationary posture which is seated or if you have a spinal injury or chronic fatigue lying down is perfectly fine so in this posture moving and settling until you find that posture, which is most stable, most grounded, nothing's ever perfect. We're just doing our best for this moment, understanding that the body is always changing. So the posture that we used last week that might be slightly different this week. Don't be afraid to make little micro-movements and adjustments, forward and back, side to side. If you're seated on the floor, take good care of your knees, please. And if you feel any uh, pain or stress in your knees, you might want to think about changing your posture. We don't want to damage our knees. And when we, this is called finding your seat, when you found your seat or your lying down posture, that's a good posture for you. If you like gently closing the eyes or keeping them open just a little to let in the light in the room. whether our eyes are open or closed, we're kind of turning our spiritual gaze inward. <coughs> Allowing the hands to rest wherever they're comfortable. allowing the breath to be natural. It might be short, medium, or long, rough or smooth. We're simply allowing it to be as it is. And 
and relax. We might become aware of sounds that we're hearing in this room, from the street, and maybe even from inside our bodies. So in this kind of meditation, which is mindfulness, insight, or vipassana meditation, those are all different words for the same technique, we're not trying to shut out anything. We're simply becoming aware that there are sounds. because we are embodied creatures, we're embodied, we have bodies, we can become mindfully aware of body sensations. In other words, what are the sensations that we feel in our bodies? In a very simple way, noticing warmth or coolness. There may be tingling sensations or some numbness. There may be sensations of heaviness or lightness, <coughs> contraction or expansion. Let's see what we can notice.
And so if this is comfortable for you, we're going to narrow our focus to observing some specific physical sensations, and these are the sensations, where we feel it in our bodies, what we feel it in our bodies, as we breathe in and as we breathe out. So we don't have to do any special kind of breathing. We're allowing the breath to be natural. And if we can feel it in our bodies, and not everyone can, just notice where do we feel it, what's happening in our bodies as we breathe in, what do we feel as we breathe out? If this doesn't work for you, you can remain with noticing whatever sensations you notice in the body. And breathing in and out, there's a gentle rhythm. And we might notice as we breathe in, there might be a cooling sensation in the nostrils. If we like, we can very quietly to ourselves, silently say the word in. And breathing out, we might silently, just very lightly in our minds, say the word out. And that can help us to concentrate. In. And if we feel the sensation of the breath more strongly in the chest area and in the abdomen, we usually notice as we breathe in that that area expands or puffs up and we can call that rising. As we breathe out, it gently subsides and we can call that movement falling. Just noticing how that feels. And if those sensations are ones that we feel more strongly, then we can, if we like, use the words rising, falling, very lightly in the mind to concentrate. So you have some choices, and you can choose whatever works the best for you.
We might notice that a number of points during our mindfulness meditation that we've forgotten we're meditating and we're thinking about the past or planning for the future. There may be strong emotions due to something that's happened in our lives. This is all really normal. So with great kindness and compassion for ourselves, and knowing that it's completely normal for thoughts to always be arising, we just simply gently return to noticing physical sensations. And if it works for us, the physical sensations of breathing in and out. So we're becoming very simple.
in the last five minutes. In the last five minutes of our period of mindfulness meditation in a stationary posture, you're invited to incline the mind towards the quality of metta, usually translated as loving kindness, and also translated as goodwill or universal friendliness. So the Buddha taught that this is the best way to live. That the absolute best way to live is to con continually cultivate this friendly mind with these simple wishes for ourselves and for others. May I be safe and protected from harm, physical harm, mental harm. May I be strong and healthy. May I be peaceful and may I be truly happy. May I live my life with joy and may I live my life with ease. So this is not a magic spell by which we can guarantee that anything will happen, it's considered that by cultivating this, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of wishing ourselves all of these things that we, we really need to flourish. It's wishing healing for ourselves. And also for others, for everyone in this room, for all the people in Oakland and the East Bay and beyond and all the living beings from the very large ones to the smallest ones we can imagine. We know we're there, they're there because uh, we have scientific instruments. All the beings in the bay swimming in the water. Those that fly through the air. All living beings, without exception. May they be safe and protected from harm physical harm and mental harm. May they be strong and healthy and peaceful. May they be happy and may they know the causes of happiness so that they can prolong their happiness. May their suffering decrease and may they also decrease the causes of suffering. May they live with joy and may they live with ease. May all beings be well and may they all be happy.
raising the palms of the hands together in a gesture of respect. I bow to you in gratitude for your practice and in respect for all that you are. And Carmen is going to give us a very important uh, Dharma talk. How visual aids, wow. <laughs> Hello, Deepao again to you. Um, just before we go into our bio break, just want to give a kind reminder that our center here, uh, East Bay Meditation Center, is run on <coughs> dana, which means uh, the word in Sanskrit means uh, generosity. That's how I believe it has been translated on Pali. So, uh, I think both. Pali and Sanskrit. Actually, generous giving. Generous giving. So just want to remind you that um, generous giving can happen in many different ways. Uh, there's a, a beautiful chart that one of our members here, I believe, created, and it was donated um, to us as well, the printing and stuff. So that's another way of demonstrating how data works um, in terms of being able to, if you have a Photoshop or you have something like that, um, or a uh, print shop. You know, to be able to donate. I believe our banner here and the banner up in the front were also donated. So there's just a lot of generosity and the, the teachings, um, my understanding is that were given freely. So there was no request of payment that came in at any point. Um, and so our teachers and our center was created under that foundation <coughs> of being able to have generous giving and to have um, this center be open without a fee at the entrance or at the door. So we ask that you look into you know your pocket, into your heart, into your being, and there's many different ways of providing generosity. There's the green genero generosity, right? The pays for the bills, the pays for electricity, the pays for the space. Uh, there's that particular green Donna that you can provide, or you know multicolor. I'm Mexican, so there's a lot of color in our money. <laughs> Um, U.S. is green. And so in, if you were able to give in that, what I have learned from my teachers is that to give without um, feeling an obligation. So to give freely. If you have X amount of money, but you are, you know, X, Y, Z already to be paying for that, to not give to the point where you're going to put yourself in a situation of lacking or missing money. So give when you are generous, and when you have abundance, and some of us have a little bit more abundance at times, some of us have a little bit less, and the ways to do that is there's a couple of boxes in the back by where the clock is, and also by where the table is here, and you can give to the center, you can give to the teacher, and you can also donate via credit card if you're interested, just see me during the break or after uh, we, we finish, and you can do via plastic, we also take plastic. Um, and also there is a system where or EBMC Center website has the possibility of you paying or pitching in for a bill on a monthly basis. And ideally if you find yourself in a position where you can give on a monthly basis, that is the best way because it gives or center um, part-time staff you know, a better idea of what's coming in on a monthly basis. So that's for the Green Donna. In terms of generosity of heart, you can always donate your time. I Today when I came in, it was already set up, and if I'm not mistaken, um, I believe it was Craig right here who gave, who uh, typically there's two people, can I see a show of hands? I think 
I have, yes, over there in the back. And um, anybody else that helped set up before today and before we started? So his generosity, part of his generosity has been is he comes in before POC yoga, sets up, and then goes to POC yoga. So he gets warmed up by putting the table, you know, mats and everything out together. So thank you so much. For those of you that I know you have done it, um, you can also help by putting things away. You can also help by cleaning up the kitchen. Um, there is also an opportunity for you to be a backup um, temple keeper. I believe right now there's still opportunities for that. And that means that on a weekly basis, you have a specific amount of time where you are able to come in and do a vacuuming of the space, do sort of a little bit more of a true cleaning to some extent. So if you are able to do that and provide the generosity uh, of your time, we really appreciate it. And of course, you know, there's another, you know, there's multitude, but the other one that I like to finish when I do the Don talk is your generous thoughts. You know, when you're sitting in the bar, when you're in the bus, when you're sitting in traffic, when you're at home meditating, send us meta. You know, we are your family. We're your POC, your POC Sangha here. So send us meta, send us goodwill, send us, you know, good energy to the center and so that people can continue to come and continue to be healed and continue to be free. That is our aim, to continue to be free. So send whichever way and all of the ways that you want to be generous. We are very grateful to you. Um, and I believe right now we can go into the break. Is there something else that you need before? No. So we can go into about a 10-minute break. Um, come back when you hear the bell. Stay bow for your practice. Thank you. Carmen, will you ring the bell or do you want me to? Um, let me know so that I can do the whole list of all. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. Good to see you. Uh, so some folks are still in the kitchen, and they're stepping back from the break. There is a handout. waiting for people to gather. I wanted to mention that, uh, for those of you who may not know it, that I've been fortunate enough to have been invited to teach uh, this spring's Buddhist curriculum. Yeah. Buddhist curriculum. And so we've just finished with the Four Noble Truths, and we'll be rolling right on into a class series of four classes on the fourth truth, which is the Eightfold Noble Path, uh, starting on Wednesday evening, March 1st, and registration for that is still possible. I also wanted to mention, and there's a sign-up in the kitchen, um, and also some, some more to hand out. I think there's this little square, squarish, um, handout, which uh, announces the a POC, uh, People of Color Meditation Retreat, Silent Meditation Retreat, in one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. And that is Viacitos Mountain Ranch. In, um, it's outside of Taos, New Mexico. And this will be a seven-day retreat from June 16th through 21st. I will be teaching it along with Bonnie Duran, 
and will be assisted by Vance Pryor. Uh, I don't even know if there are any places left open right now, but there always will be a waiting list because it's a ways away, and so of course people's plans can change. Uh, it is just an incredibly beautiful place. It's about, oh, I, I think it's almost at, it's at around 8,000 feet elevation, and what that means is there's nothing harmful on that land. Because of the elevation, there's no poison oak, there are no poison snakes, there's no scorpions. Everything is beneficial. The land has never been, the trees have not been cut. There's been no pesticides. It's an inholding in a national forest. And it's um, there in perpetuity with a special partnership, I believe, with the Nature Conservancy. So it is just gorgeous. Vallecitos, V-A-L-L-E-C-I-T-O-S. If you like, go to their website and just look at the photos. Uh, it's such a special and beautiful place and a real opportunity for people of color to just have that kind of experience, both being in the wilderness and also being completely comfortable because they have yummy food and the lodgings are simple, very nice, um, the best combination. I love it there. I'm looking forward to going back. Okay. So... Um, you all have had the opportunity to get one of the handouts. If you haven't gotten it, there are more up here. Uh, this is not my handout. I did make the drawing, uh, which is rather crude, but I hope serviceable. And it's just a complete um, replica of a diagram, which is in one of my very favorite books. It's by the Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's called The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching. The subtitle is Transforming Suffering into Peace, Joy, and Liberation. So the heart of the Buddhist teaching, and that's noted on there. It's a basic Buddhist teachings and um, filtered through the mind of Thich Nhat Hanh, who is one of the best-known spiritual and Buddhist teachers of our century uh, due to his ability to explain things in ways that are uh, simple and flowing, beautiful and profound. He's also a scholar, so that's all there as well. Um, and through, the, through, of course, his own practice as a lifelong monk from Vietnam. He's lived in uh, France uh, for a very long time and has traveled widely throughout the world. So this topic was the assigned topic from the People of Color Sangha Coordinating Committee, and I signed up for it, thinking, okay. And the teachers are asked to teach on certain topics. We always have one of our communication agreements here is the right to pass, so if we actually didn't want to teach on it, we would say no. And I just thought, well, I'll, I will give it a try. Because as you can see, this is a big ball of wax here, folks. It's, it's just, it's pretty big. So this is uh, a teaching, um, the state had the assigned topic of the, what's called the 12-fold chain of dependent origination, which Thich Nhat Hanh calls uh, the 12 links, the 12-fold chain of interdependent co-arising. So that's the same thing, chain of dependent origination, or 
the chain of interdependent co-arising. And it's a particular teaching that is considered to be very, very important to our understanding of uh, how, how things work. And so my assignment from the committee was to particularly talk about in that inner circle, there are two circles here. On the outside circle, it says true mind. On the inner circle, it says diluted mind. Each has 12 links. And usually when we talk about the 12-fold chain, we're talking about that inner circle. Thich Nhat Hanh, out of his compassion, so that we're not completely bummed out by all the inner one of diluted mind, uh, which we do need to understand, has also put for each one of the links of the chain of diluted mind a corresponding link of true mind, which is the mind of wisdom, the mind of compassion, the mind of awakening. And so we can see that we always have the possibility to transform ignorance, we'll see that at 12 o'clock under diluted mind, into clear understanding, in true mind. And we always have the... Um, uh, the ability to transform grasping, which is at uh, about 8 o'clock on the inner clock, into freedom, which is 8 o'clock on the outer ring. And we can transform craving into the four immeasurable minds of loving kindness and joy and equanimity and... Um, um, what's the fourth brown in Bahara? What? <laughs> Compassion. Compassion. Yes. Um, which are very stable. Those are all shamatha, stilling, or uh, tranquility practices. So we can take all that restless craving like, wow, I'm sitting here meditating, but I really want to go to Fenton's. And get one of their banana splits, you know, the kind that can feed about four people, and then you start thinking about it, and your mouth starts to water. And so we could just say, well, I'm, you know, I'll get there. I'll get there for now. I'm going to be here. I'm just going to calm my mind um, and practice compassion. Uh, so we always have that ability to transform, and it's also integral to this, um, to the understanding of this particular set of teachings these practices that come to us from uh, over 2,600 years ago that, um, that we don't need to have any kind of blaming or shaming because with um, transformation would not be possible unless there was something to transform from, right? Isn't that true? Like if we were all perfectly happy and peaceful and non-harmful and didn't have any of this other stuff. There just would not be anything to transform. And therefore, it's considered in this system that it's, it's very joyful that we have this possibility and we recognize how uh, it's all actually connected together. So I did wear, can't see it quite all yet, but my T-shirt that was given to me by some of my folks in San Diego, uh, which has on it in Thich Nhat Hanh's calligraphy, in English, no mud, no lotus. So some of you, uh, many of you probably know that the lotus is a symbol of awakened mind and our awakened and enlightened nature, the possibility of, of awakening and of and becoming really deeply happy and very, very liberated. 
And so the lotus is one of the symbols. And the lotus grows in mud. It grows in pond muck. So there's a pond and there's all that stuff that, organic stuff that goes to the bottom of the pond. It's actually very rich in nutrients. But if we walk in the pond, it's really, I myself don't like it, I have to say. I don't like mud. It just it feels like, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> and it's out of that rich nutrient at the bottom of the pond that the lotus rises up. So for those of you who are into plants, uh, understand that lotuses are different from water lilies. They're different. Because water lilies, they, the leaves are flat and they stay on the top of the pond and then the, the beautiful flowers are there and they're right on the water. So because of um, the symbolism of the lotus comes from the fact that the lotus comes out of the water and then it rises up and it has beautiful big leaves that rise up out of the water and then uh, the lotus flower blooms with that sound <laughs> uh, well above the water and that's part of the symbolism. So both plants are of course fine for what they are and that is why the lotus is is it picking up? Is it good? Yeah. And that's why the lotus is the symbol of awakening. So no mud, no lotus. We may not see the mud, however, it's there. And it's part of the fertile uh, soil and the ground of being from which our awakened nature arises. And that's very, very important to this. Liberation and freedom is usually associated with having choices. Having choices. When we're imprisoned, when we're not free, uh, we, our choices are very severely eliminated or uh, drastically decreased. And so when we become more mindful and when we better understand, if we wish to do so, uh, this particular teaching of the 12 links of how everything is always conditioning other things. In other words, um, one thing can cause another thing to happen. So you'll see that there are arrows that go between the various links of the chain. However, if this were a true diagram, it would actually have arrows between all of the links of the chain because they it would form like a kind of a spider web because they're always all conditioning one another. So you can see that, um, um, for instance, uh, a volitional action, which I'll be talking about, could be linked to craving or grasping and certainly um, um, there can be that link also between uh, a behavior or, or an action that I take and then a perception of whether that action uh, has caused a feeling in me that is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, which is the meaning in this system of the word feeling. So they're actually all interconnected. It's this enormous dynamic thing, uh, which gives rise to certain choices that we can make. And therefore, I have titled uh, this talk, My Choice, colon, Hot Mess or Happiness? 
Okay, that's in short. One hand, you've got this hot mass. We can create a hot mass or get into something that is just like this huge hot mass. Or we can also choose mindfulness in order to see what the possibilities are for transforming that mud into wisdom, into kindness, into compassion, into seeing more deeply what is actually there and how we can be of more help to ourselves and to others. And the reason I like this diagram is because it doesn't just leave us with that inner ring. It also shows us on the outer ring how many beautiful and wonderful uh, qualities there are that can be the result of our constant blooming of our lotus and our transformation in our everyday lives. I think that uh, my observation is that folks in our culture are often vulnerable to feelings of guilt and self-blame and to some kind of projection that there must be some way of being like perfect and pure in the sense of becoming this blameless person who never thinks an evil thought, who never swats a spider. Uh, and so then that can make us just feel worse and worse when we're not that person. However, there's another way of looking at it, which is again to remember how closely connected the mud and the lotus are. And I remember that years ago, there was a friend of mine who was just a really wonderful spiritual practitioner who began to, and uh, this person's form of spirituality was um, a spiritual, spiritual form of martial arts. And so even though they weren't asked to do so in their everyday life, uh, this person began to wear all white clothing all the time in order to, for it to be a reminder to themselves to, to keep up their spiritual quest, which was great. And once we were in at a, like a family party together and someone said, well, why are you wearing white? And this person said, because I'm trying to get rid of all of the gunk inside me. And I said, that's great for you and I like my gunk. Which I do. <laughs> I'm just really friendly towards my gun. So you don't often, I don't, you may never even see me wearing white. Um, and that's also because when I eat, I don't like to have to really keep meat. It's, I just don't enjoy my food. So, this is a really good outfit for me. So I did some research and I brought another book which is, you could use for weightlifting. It's excellent. It's a Princeton Dictionary of Buddhism, and it's by Professors Robert E. Buswell, Jr. and Professor Donald S. Lopez, Jr. This thing is amazing. Uh, after, yeah, I think after it was given to me as a present by one of the Buddhist editors that I've worked for, I sometimes do uh, Buddhist proofreading, I wrote to uh, Robert Buswell, Jr., who comes from the same Korean Zen lineage as I do, and I said, Bob, what an incredible accomplishment. I don't even know how it's possible 
to make a reference book that's this good. It is a work of love. It's fantastic. It's very heavy, too. It's got great stuff in it. So I looked in there and in some other places, and it said that in some of the earlier Buddhist renditions of the cha this chain of dependent co-arising, or the ways in which things condition one another so as to produce certain effects from certain causes, that there were only uh, 10 links in the chain. And then later on, two more were added to make it an even dozen. I have to say that trying to absorb everything on this diagram, which I've looked at any number of times, and you'll find it in other places as well, or figure it all out through an active sort of intellectual will, makes me feel as though I'm me, so I'm the me you see right here, and I'm trying to do the Iron Man triathlon <laughs> that's held in Kona on the big island of Hawaii. I, I don't know if it's still being held every year, but one year I was there visiting my cousin, who's a Buddhist priest, and her temple's in the Kona area, and the Iron Man triathlon was going on, and there were these amazing athletes from around the world sort of walking around downtown Kona. Uh, I, I definitely do not look like them. So that's what it made me feel like. Well, this is some really heavy lifting here. Let me see what my way in can be. So my advice is to, if you want to look into this, to take it really easy. And uh, maybe imagine that you're holding in your hand a key to a mansion that's filled with all sorts of amazing art treasures and delicious food and wonderful machines and fabulous plants. And there's really no way you can explore it all at once. It could take you the rest of your life, and that would be okay. So let's relax. Because even one insight can really help us. I'm modeling the way that we can think to encourage ourselves and to keep us in the game, so to speak. And experienced meditation practitioners know that we can't know everything, we don't know everything all at once, and we've become very good at not being uh, overwhelmed by this. In the latest issue of Buddha Dharma magazine, which comes from the Lions War Foundation, there's a really wonderful article called The Choice is Yours. So remember, the name of this talk is My Choice, Hot Master Happiness. And I actually had made that up before looking, seeing this article, and it's by a Thai monk called Ajahn Buddhadasa, and he lived for a very long time and died in 1993, and he says, there are two ways to understand dependent origination. Only one leads to liberation. So just to tell you a little bit about it, he says the one that does lead to uh, the more profound understanding of this chain that leads to profound liberation, what we would call enlightenment, um, says that all of this chain and how it worked just as an interdependent system was uh, considered to have been seen after the Buddha's great enlightenment. So this is Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha who lived in what is now India about 2,600 years ago. And he said that, so it's considered that he attained this great enlightenment, and that after that, after that he continued to meditate, 
and he examined and investigated dependent core rising throughout at least one night, the first watch of which focused on how dependent core rising occurs. He repeatedly investigated this in the forward order from ignorance to concoctings. So uh, this monk calls, uh, we're going from ignorance to volitional actions, and he calls volitional actions concoctings, things we cook up, that we concoct, yeah. So, you know, we're going to cook it up. Uh, on through suffering, we're going to cook it up because we're ignorant, we're unaware, we're, we don't know what's going on, we're operating on false assumptions. And it said that he spent four full hours thoroughly penetrating this truth. So this is getting pretty specific, right? In the next four hours, he investigated the causality of dukkha, which means suffering in careful detail, and traced it all the way back to ignorance. So in the final four hours, he examined dependent core rising in both directions, forward and backward. So he went forward through the whole chain, and then he went backward through the whole chain, uh, because he thoroughly and clearly understood it and saw it. This shows the central importance of dependent core rising. Um, it said he had the most profound spiritual experience of this through each of the watches. Please consider how profound, how difficult, how subtle and how important this is. This ought to be of great interest to all serious meditators. So there's a little plug for um, kind of the explanation of how this came into being. And I just wanted to introduce this whole chain to you because I understand uh, that each week the teacher who will be here will then take on another link in the 12-fold chain. So I'm just starting with ignorance, which in Sanskrit is avidya, in Pali avidya, so same word, just a little bit different, and how that links to the next link, which is volitional actions or concoctions, uh, you might call it karmic formations as well which in Sanskrit is samskara, and in Pali is sankara. Same word. So in this case, um, ignorance means being in, in a deluded state of mind, which means not having a clear perception of reality. So it's considered in this system, this is not about being deluded because uh, you don't have some set of religious beliefs. It's considered that there is a reality that we can observe and that we can understand uh, through our meditation and through living and talking to people and studying and becoming wiser. And we're ignorant because we do not have a clear perception of reality. In this system of thought, reality uh, would be considered to be right view, which is part of the Eightfold Path. And right view uh, essentially feeds back on itself and is considered to be the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which is an analysis of why we suffer and what can be the path out of suffering. Um, so can you think of a time in your life, and you don't have to say anything, when you just didn't understand the whole of what was happening? Or when we're, we're children, of course, there are so many things that we don't understand and that because of this lack of understanding or delusion or ignorance, can you think of a time when essentially you said or did things that contributed to creating a mess? 
So I can think of many, many times in my life when this happened. I'm a parent of an adult child. That's a totally fertile bunch of mud to come up with many hot messes of which the child will very freely comment on. And um, I also thought of a more innocuous story I would share because when I was in third grade, I lived in semi-rural Ohio near Akron and my family lived in this um, trailer park. And it was adjacent to a field and one day I was walking home and I looked over at the field and I thought, wow, what's a cow doing in that field? Because I didn't even have a fence around it. Now, there were a lot of cows in this area of Ohio. And I thought, my gosh, isn't that amazing? And I went home and I said to my mother, there was a cow in the field uh, next to the trailer park. And she said, there are no cows there. And I said, I saw a cow. And she said, you need glasses. Uh, and so this was true and my eyesight had been degenerating and I didn't even know it because I was compensating by sitting closer and closer to the to the blackboard in school and um, and I thought no I did see a cow and so I ran out to the field and I went up to it and it was an old rusted Volkswagen bug Okay. Yeah, so there's a case where ignorance led to some volitional actions. I talked to my mother, and I was, I was thinking about why this cow was there. So that's a very, very simple story. It did not result in any harm. In fact, it, mud and lotus, it alerted my mother to the fact that I needed correctional lenses. However, think about when we're driving... Um, there are so many ways that we can think of how our um, assumptions that come from an incorrect perception of reality. As people of color, we probably know this better than anyone else in some ways, or just as well as many other groups that are targeted for oppression would be better to say. Uh, we know how incorrect assumptions, stereotyping, racial profiling, all of that come from states of delusion come from this very deep ignorance that is paired with aversion or hatred, that is paired with um, denial, not even wanting to see what is the reality, or just from a really deep conviction that that's the way things are because of the deep, deep social conditioning that uh, goes on in the United States. I am from the United States, so I'll only say that about the United States. Of course, it's happening in other places on the planet as well. Um, so a lot of folks, myself included, are in the current political climate, uh, looking around and having a very deep realization of, it could be said that the hot mess that we're in, we are, uh, according to the way I'm thinking. We also know, as people of color, that this has not come out of nowhere. It did not develop overnight um, after the inauguration or the election. That this has been an ongoing situation that, uh, as far as we know, uh, on this area of land has been going on certainly ever since the indigenous peoples of this land were dominated and were displaced. So this link between ignorance and harmful 
thoughts and actions of body, speech, and mind, these volitional actions, these concoctions, things that are constructed, um, is not hard to understand in theory. What we need to do if we want to practice the Dharma is to bring it home and to really use ourselves as the laboratories to look very closely at ourselves and our own actions, to see how quickly ignorance can lead to behaviors, ideas, notions, our perceptions that are con conditioned by all sorts of memories, concepts, things that uh, are our parents or guardians, people in our childhood, people today have told us things we've read, which may or may not be true. Um, so to see how our behaviors and our ideas have been conditioned, uh, they're conditioned by whether we're sick with a terrible flu and feeling that we can barely drag ourselves out of bed, or feeling totally fabulous, full of energy, and madly in love. <laughs> All of those states um, and forms of, of how we've come into being as the people we are now have conditioned us. And these, so this is actually about how everything can condition everything else and then how do we um, see clearly in order to get to this outer ring of um, wisdom, clear understanding, mindfulness, the transformation body, wondrous being, and of course, freedom and liberation. So remember my story about the cow. That was a delusion. And my mom knew the antidote to that. I needed glasses so that I could see the field clearly. James Baldwin, quoted in the recent documentary film, I'm Not Your Negro, wrote, and I put it on a chart paper on the wall, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So we don't need to get twisted up in knots trying to read all of the scholarly stuff immediately about the 12-fold chain unless we want to. We can use the wisdom of our ancestors and our own hard-won wisdom, whatever we have to figure out. What's really going on here and what's the truth of the situation? Who am I really? What's my purpose in life? What is it that I aspire to? What do I want for my community, for my family, for my friends, for the animals and the living beings, for the environment itself? What is the reality? How can we transform what is suffering? So once we gain some clarity and some powerful insights, we try to align everything with the truth and then to make adjustments as more of the truth and more of that reality unfold. We don't have to get it right all at once. We're learning as we go along. So in other words, we try to be more and more careful about the karma, uh, the effects of our actions and our thoughts, our behaviors that we are creating moment by moment. Sung San Sinem, the Korean Zen master who uh, came to the United States, is probably the best known Korean Zen teacher. Uh, English was his second language, and so he usually kept his teachings in English very simple. They're all very good, I think. He used to say, don't make anything. And when I first heard that over 30 years ago, I thought, well, that's really stupid. 
Because <laughs> we, have, we have to make things. And the more I practice, the more I thought, oh my gosh, that is so true. Because what he, he, didn't, he didn't mean that we shouldn't make things like a delicious meal or a healthy meal or we shouldn't make love or we shouldn't make peace. Uh, uh, we are creative beings. What he meant is uh, be careful of what we're concocting up that's going to lead to the aforementioned hot mess. So um, we, can, we can extricate ourselves little by little or sometimes in quantum leaps. And what I would like to uh, leave you with is the possibility of liberation through just going step by step. We can start by raising up just one thought one aspiration, one sentence. It could be something like this. May I bring joy to one other being today? May I help to ease the suffering of just one other being today? And that's a really, really uplifting thought. It can lead to uplifting behaviors, and that can be the start of the transformation that gives us insight into how we undo this mess. There is the story in my tradition, uh, which is Zen Buddhism. It's part of the great tradition called the Mahayana. And there's a story of a bodhisattva, that's a great wisdom being, who for some reason ended up in hell. I don't know why, but they did. They ended up going to hell, and they were in hell, which is a horrible place, and looked around and saw all of these beings in suffering and in agony. And as soon as they saw all of these beings in suffering and agony, the great enlightened thought arose. How wonderful to be here in hell, because then I will be able to help as many beings as possible. And as soon as that thought arose, that vow to help the suffering beings, then it is said that that bodhisattva shot straight up and looking around saw that they were in heaven. So that's the possibilities that we have. That's part of the profound meaning of the transformation, uh, the liberatory potential of ever more deeply understanding the 12-fold chain. And I thank you for your kind attention. This is, would be considered a sort of kind of a more uh, complicated or quote-unquote advanced teaching and there are many doorways in where we can start to look into it to appreciate its beauty and other teachers will be here week by week by week I guess there will, it will be a 12-week teaching to give you their understanding from their own experience of how we can put on our glasses in order to see that it's not a cow in the field, it's a car in the field. <laughs> so I'll stop there. And I think we do just have a few minutes for if the handheld mic is around, if you have an insight or a question. I'd rather you had an insight because I'm certainly not an expert on this. I've done my best. Can you press the button on the side? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peace, everybody, and thank you so much. Um, uh, I think you helped us think about uh, 
a young man with a teenager, Christian Dorsch, as you're speaking, who was recently in the news um, with the officer, the teenager and the officer in Anaheim. And what struck me is that he had, when the officer was harassing him and detaining him uh, unlawfully and brutally, he had said, I'll sue you. And the officer claims that, that he said, I'll shoot you. And then that's when, um, shortly thereafter, that the officer actually pulled out his weapon and fired around into the crowd. Luckily, didn't hurt anybody. Um, but So I think of that, but I also think about anyone who watches the news based on their own biases would judge whether or not the kid said, I'll sue you or I'll shoot you. And so it's, it's where that dysfunction and that delusion spreads. Um, and I, my concern is that you know these kids were charged, and it'll be up to the judge or perhaps a jury to decide which, if they believe the delusion or not. Because if they do believe that the child said, "I'll shoot you," then the officer will get off. And if it's the other way around, so it was really interesting to see that it hinges really on that perception, which in many ways will trump truth, pun intended. Thank you very much. That is, that's a, a wonderful example and a very painful story that is not unfamiliar to us. Thank you. Yeah, just one word, right? Sue or shoot. Good advice <laughs> when I listen to your talk. So I have a question about sort of getting more insight into um, kind of personal relationships, sort of understanding some, um, for me, distortions that are there in terms of power dynamics and sort of sexism, racism, and sort of understanding those more. Um, and part of it is sort of sort of stepping back and, and realizing sort of what I bring and also what other people bring. Um, but it makes me a little apprehensive about engaging in some sort of lifelong relationships, um, even sort of family and friends. And I'm just wondering um, if you have any advice about sort of getting that insight um, and then sort of, I don't know, ways that you can um, have compassion and engage, re-engage in a way that um, is kind of safe for yourself, but also not, not cutting off the flow. Um, the flow of what? The flow of, I mean, I think about sort of, as a minority in particular, I think about sort of internalized racism, both with, my, with myself, but also like young professionals and so forth, and really chasing material things. Um, and the more that I see that, the less <laughs> I want to really interact. Um, but I know that, you know, there's no way for us to change if we don't interact. So, you know, I'm just wondering if you have any practical advice for um, how to do that or whether to do well, definitely yes, whether to do it, I would say. I mean, you're just asking me, it's just me. Um, I believe that what we're, I mean, what we're calling mindfulness is the key to all of this. And you'll see 
on your diagram, the way that Venerable Thich Han has put it, that, that there is a distinction to be made in that transformation, for instance, between feelings and mindfulness of feelings, right? And because often it seems to be the same thing. And so, however, that shift, subtle as it may seem, that's a crucial shift. So for instance, it's been remarked for, upon by many people who've been through longer meditation retreats. Uh, there's this kind of um, mindfulness meditation is called vipassana. However, it's just as true as Zen Buddhist meditation. And so you're in this meditation hall, say there are 50 people, and maybe even there's 100. Everyone's supposed to be being silent. You're keeping your gaze lowered. You're doing your meditation. You're doing meditation. It's very common for people to fall in love with one another. Some complete stranger they've never known. And in this system, it's called the Vipassana romance. So it's, um, so, so there can be the feeling of, I'm in love. I am so in love. That person's my soulmate. I know it. I've been revealed to me in a divine inspiration just now as I was sitting here. So that is a perception. And then you use the words, I think, stepping back. Then we use our practice and we think, wow, that's kind of interesting. We step back and we look at it with mindfulness and then we're able to say, all right, I've just had this revelation that I'm totally in love with someone that I've never had anything to do with before <laughs> and I'm going to live happily ever after for the rest of my life. Is that, like just, you know, just saying, uh, <laughs> is that true? And if so, what's the evidence for it? So those are very good mindfulness questions, to be able to back off on whatever we're thinking or feeling with, and with openness, with kindness. I mean, these, it could be true. And just ask ourselves, is this true? If I feel it is true, how do I know it's true? That's really, that's in my point of view, that's the way to, to go about it. And we, by knowing it's true, we don't need to have necessarily have quantitative evidence. I don't need to have a scientific study to know that I love my child. I know I do. I hope I've acted lovingly for 28 years. Not all 28, but <laughs> uh, So it doesn't need to be that there's proof that comes from outside you. However, for yourself, and are you open to also seeing that, that things might change because things often do? And then all, the question is always, are we living uh, in alignment with our highest values and with the person that we want to be in this lifetime. Is that making sense and does that help? Yeah, I think I can sit with that. Okay, yeah. So you see it's a pro constant process of cultivating, of investigating, of aligning, and of clarifying. Thank you. And we just have a few minutes left and I know Carmen and said there's some announcements. I see someone with a very raised hand. Mm -hmm. Hi, Bishop. Um, so I have a question. As far as the codependent arising, um, the part that you mentioned about like the concocting, and um, so part of what I was sitting with you before coming to the meditation was the 
the like kind of sinking awareness that like in some ways, um, so I have a, a lot of job discomfort and then physical discomfort because I had a fall at work. And I was realizing that there's an aspect and a component of it in which, um, I won't say that I'm causing the suffering, but I'm causing the suffering in the sense that um, it's a job that I'm dissatisfied with. And there are, you know, it's, it's in the school system. So there's systems of racism and repression and all the things that happen with young people. Uh, yada, yada, yada. All that's true. And at the same time, there's a way in which, like, I did have, like, an insight of there's a suffering there that I'm bringing because I'm uncomfortable. And um, so the, the question that I have for you in that area, like, the, 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 but there's also this element to the skin of, like, we live in the Bay Area and there's a lot of woo here. And I do, you know, sometimes subscribe to that, that version of the, like, I create my reality kind of new agey thought thing that happens here. And so the question is around the nuances of, like, the right view, I think, is like that area of there are some ways in which we do bring our suffering to the table because of who we are and all of that. And yet, at the same time, you know, racism is real, oppression is real, and all that is like it exists. So, um, I guess the question is like the nuance within the concocting in terms of like from the dharmic perspective, like what is that nuance of, of how, like, on the one hand, like the suffering does not exist without causes and conditions, and yet, you know. Racism is real. So I was wondering if you could speak to that. Thank you. That's an essential, um, it, is, it is a nuance. And I would say it really relates to the James Baldwin quote that is on the wall. So not everything that is faced can be changed. There is structural oppression uh, and structural violence. And it says, but nothing can be uh, changed until it is faced. So it's within our power to, uh, in this formulation of it, it says until we face, until we have a clear insight into reality, and then we can see what we can change and what we cannot. And when we have that very clear knowing, and that's often changing moment from moment by moment, we can allot our physical, our mental, our spiritual resources, our people's resources, to be most effective in leveraging the transformation that we can achieve. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we have to have a clear perception of reality first and then sort through it what can we change uh, and what we don't have the power to change and how we're going to navigate that. So I will end. I know there are a few announcements to be made by thanking all of you and also asking you uh, on the top, uh, the theme of this evening, uh, which is that transformation from ignorance and then how it can condition concoctions and volitional actions. How many of you have seen the Key and Peel? It's now on YouTube video about texting. Yeah? Okay, if you haven't, please go home and immediately look it up. It's by Key, you know, it's Key and Peel, the comedy team, and you could just put in YouTube uh, texting, just put in texting, text messaging, texting, and it shows a text exchange between two friends in which, as we know, we can't get body language or tone of voice from text, and so they're texting one another, and they're entirely different realities. Um, Key has just come from a workout and is putting on coffee and is tense and 
kind of ready to go and and is is full of that kind of energy and uh, Peel is sitting on his uh, uh, couch smoking a lot of weed and they're just in totally different mind frames and so as they're texting back and forth it's it's showing how the words are being read completely differently in their minds I would say it's an excellent example of this aspect of the 12-fold chain of dependent origination. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. And uh, Carmen, if you're here or someone else. Shall we bring this to the next one? Sure. I'm not going to be here, but. Okay, I thought you said this for you. Yes, yes. They, uh, each of my understanding is that if the teachers are willing to um, accept their mission, that that it, the twelvefold chain will continue to unfold. You'll get lots of fabulous insights from different uh, dharmic perspectives. So, is there someone here from the committee that's going to make announcements? Yeah, are there any community announcements? Yes. I am in the go. I have two announcements. One is that for those who haven't heard yet, there's an Asian American deep refugee group that has recently formed, and we're still open to new members. Um, so if you're interested, talk to me. Um, we meet on second and fourth Tuesdays of every month. And the other announcement is that I'm co-leading a dream group that's starting um, at the end of March. So if you're interested in that, um, where we help you to understand your dreams. May you be safe and protected from harm, strong and healthy, peaceful and happy. And may you go watch the T and P video. <laughs> Oh well, okay. Sorry. Do you have those parts of the Yeah, I do. Here's one that you can
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.